Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Erlinson from Lightning Insider. Alongside Greg Manelli from Lightning Power Play, we're recapping a couple of games against the Florida Panthers, and we'll discuss: Is this a rivalry now? That's eh, open for debate, I think. Uh, we'll talk about the key injury to a key Lightning player that's going to have an effect on the roster over the coming weeks, and we'll get to some of your questions as well at the end of the podcast. And with that, I do want to welcome in my good friend from Lightning Power Play. Greg Lanelli, Greg, how are things this time around? Doing very well, E. Good to be with you again and to our audience. Happy Valentine's Day. Most overrated holiday, I've got to think, out there. But, I mean, you tell me. That's that's just, um, it's overrated. You know, they built, they built a whole Simpsons episode around made-up holidays. Did they it really? It's called Love Day. It's called Love Day. I love and, that. Uh, it, 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 it was like a... a uh, I don't say an offshoot of Valentine's Day, but that's kind of was. So, you know, all the men, of course, have to run out to the store and buy their cards. Oh, it's love day. It's love day. So <laughs> uh, if you have a feeling Valentine's is a made up day, you should go find that. Uh, that Simpsons Boy, the, the Simpsons were ahead of their time, yeah, they, weren't they? they? Simpsons fan. The Simpsons were just ahead of their time, weren't they? Back in the day. Uh, they were ahead of their time and they predicted time. <laughs> they did. Incredible. <laughs> it, uh, it was truly amazing. I mean, to the, to the point of predicting gold medals in U.S. curling, which unheard of that is unheard of they predicted it so that is the beauty of the simpsons all right greg um let's talk about the couple of games against the panthers and i know as recording this we, we have another one coming up and there'll be five more meetings between these two teams coming down the road in this covid season but the panthers came out i think that they treated that first meeting against tampa bay they put a lot of emphasis on that they felt that their, their start to the season, they wanted to prove to everybody that their start was not a fluke. They wanted to show everybody, hey, look, we can hang with our in-state rivals. <clears throat> I used quotation marks on that. And they came out and they played like it. And, you know, they talked after the game how much that game meant to them. And then I think we saw coming back in game two of the three-game set that the Lightning were like, okay, you had your fun. We're going to go out and show you what it takes to win. And that was without a couple of key players and Steven Stamkos and Anthony Sorelli. Very impressive bounce back for the Lightning in that second game down there in Sunrise. Yeah, and I think that's something we've seen so far this year is the team that loses that first game in a two-game set typically comes back and has a pretty spirited effort the next game. And the Lightning, for the most part, have handled that very well because they've won that first game just about every single time. But in this instance, they didn't. And there was a lot of talk going into that game about how... Uh, the Panthers had improved this year, and there's no question they have. I mean, they've upgraded uh, in some ways their top six. If you want to consider Verhege as a guy coming in and giving them some energy and some offensive ability, but I think their bottom six has gotten a bit better, and I think that was one of the reasons why a lot of people looked at Florida and felt like this was a team that was going to get into the playoffs, be one of the top four teams in Tampa Bay's division. So I think that first game, to me, the thing that caught me by surprise was how fast Florida played and I think they caught Tampa Bay off guard I I don't want to you know minimize what Florida did because you give them credit they made Tampa Bay uncomfortable in a lot of key situations but you felt like a a team with the credentials that Tampa Bay has they were going to respond in the appropriate way and they did that and what was even more impressive is they did it without Sorelli and Stamkos and Kucherov let's throw him in there arguably three of their top offensive players or all-around players 
Um, so I, I think it was a nice win by Florida in game one of this eight-game series, but I think game two showed that Florida, it might have been a bit premature to have them on the same level as Tampa Bay if you were a Florida Panthers fan. That was, I think, the most impressive win Tampa Bay had this year so far. I know it's the the young season, but you know we've talked about this before, 56 games, every game matters. The Lightning really, at, at times, flexed their muscle and showed the Panthers they still have a ways to go. And I do think the, the biggest difference between those two teams that might not get a lot of publicity is their goaltending. I'm still not sold on Bobrovsky in terms of what he used to be. I think he's still good, but Vasilevsky's head and shoulders above Bobrovsky, and I really think that played out in the second meeting between these two teams. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Tampa Bay saw what the Panthers had, and, you know, I, I, I go back to a couple of the comments that were made after Thursday's game, uh, specifically from Braden Point, where, you know, he mentioned the coaching staff talked about how fast Florida is, how more improved Florida is, and you know, like it's one thing to see that on tape and it's another thing for the coaches to tell you it, but I don't think that they were ready for it because I think Florida was quicker than they even anticipated and, and the lighting just weren't able to get up to that and adapt to it quick enough. Well, they came back the next night and they slowed the Panthers down. I mean, there was no room for Florida to get through the neutral zone. It reminded me of the game earlier in the week against Nashville. I think it was the first game in Nashville where, you know, they just smothered the Predators in the middle of the ice. And I think they did the same thing to the Panthers in game two. And we've seen how this team responds after losses. It was certainly a huge part of their run to a Stanley Cup championship. Remember, they never trailed uh, in a series except for the one nothing. Um, then they fell behind to Boston in, in round two. Uh, but, but it was their ability to bounce back after losses. They didn't lose two games in a row at any point during the, the playoffs. And I think they've carried that over into this season. So they adapted. They understood now how the Panthers wanted to come at them. And we'll see what sort of adjustments this, you know, sometimes it's like a chess match. It's like a volleyball match, whatever it is. Both teams are going to go back and forth, especially in these situations where you're playing teams three times in a row. We'll see that again next week when they face the Hurricanes three times in a row, one time in Raleigh and two times at Amelie Arena. Uh, but to see how teams adjust to that and – you know, you've seen the comparison. It's like playoffs. If you lose the game, first game, you understand the urgency that's needed for the second game. This obviously isn't playoffs, but every game is a four-point game. It takes on a little bit more value than a normal regular season because of that, because if you're gaining points, you're not giving the other team points. That's why it was so important to get off to a quick start for these teams this year because it's so hard to make up ground. Because, yes, you might be able to go on to a five-game winning streak, but another team – Every other night in your division, somebody's picking up points somewhere. So it becomes that much more difficult to try and play from behind. So I think we've seen that adjustment from this lightning and this understanding of what it takes to win. And let's face it, they're the champions for a reason. They brought pretty much the same roster back. They weren't going to let one game that the Panthers put so much stock into bother them. No, and you know, you mentioned we asked Derek Lalonde this question on Power Lunch about the 56-game schedule, and was that maybe the biggest reason this team got off to such a good start? And he didn't disagree with it. And I think there is something to be said for what you alluded to, and we've talked about it on this podcast, is that teams that go into long losing streaks, and long losing streaks in a 56-game schedule, you might even just be three or four games, really put yourself behind the eight ball because there's a lot of three-point games out there. And as I've told you, I'm not sure they're going to be able to make up all 56 games for most teams, for some teams at least. And I think getting off to a quick start was imperative. And, you know, in some ways, I think we anticipated Tampa Bay doing that. I don't think we anticipated maybe Florida getting off to the start they did. And I think that start is going to allow them to get into the playoffs. I, I really believe that. Now, to your point about was that a bigger game, game one of this series for Florida than Tampa Bay? For sure it was. I, I think they had a lot to prove. And let's face it, too, both these teams weren't exactly playing the cream of the crop leading up to that game. Yep. And I think there were some questions, not so much in Tampa Bay land, but certainly for the Panthers, how good are you? And they, in their minds, answered that question um, with a lot of 
a lot a lot of positive things transpiring in that game and I, I think for them I don't want to say they were overconfident in game two but certainly I think the lightning adjusted and that's what these series does if you don't adjust I think coaching actually comes into play a bit more than maybe even in an 82 game season when you're playing all these games back to back so to speak they made some adjustments and they also had some guys step up which was nice to see you had Matthew Joseph you had Jamel Smith who we're going to talk about you had Tyler Johnson who had to come up big and I think there is something to be said for rallying the troops when you know guys like Steven Stamkos and Anthony Sorelli aren't in the lineup. I think you have to pay attention to detail a bit more, and I think the Lightning were much better in their second game against the Panthers from that standpoint as well. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it's uh, before we get into the guys that had to step up, like, everybody wants this to be a rivalry, right? Like, it's been forced on. I go back to, you know, the, the Governor's Cup and the Florida Blue Cup and the Nextel Cup, and everything they tried to do to turn this into a rivalry because the in-state obviously plays huge into that. You can't have a rivalry with the team that you haven't met in the playoffs. It, it can't happen, right? Like it just, it, it's one of those things in hockey that you can't do it. And I don't, I understand that everybody's going to face each other eight times this year and, and maybe that'll add some, some spark to some of this. But at the end of the day, these two teams have to meet in the postseason for us to even think about considering a rivalry and even one playoff round isn't going to be enough. It's just going to be a start. And that's why I hope in a lot of ways, I hope the Panthers get in. And I hope that these two teams do find a way to match up. We almost got it a couple of years ago, which would have been in round two. The Islanders upset the Panthers in that series. Of course, Tampa Bay went on to knock off the Islanders in their run to the conference final. But we haven't had these two teams be in the playoffs. So all this talk of rivalry and everything else, yeah, it's great that the Panthers showed something. Maybe they are ready to take that next step. We've been waiting for that for seems like forever, even as they've been, you know, pretty decent here the last few years. But at the end of the day, these two teams have to meet in the playoffs for us to even think about a conversation revolving around a Florida hockey rivalry. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I've, I've never thought Tampa Bay and Florida was a rivalry. I, I, th that's just an honest opinion. Now, I, I will say this. I agree with you. I mean, rivalries are born in the playoffs. There's no question about it. Look at Boston. Look at the Detroit Red Wings when they were competitive playing against the Lightning. That was a pretty intense series, and I think there's something to be said for that. I think you can even throw Pittsburgh and Washington to a lesser extent as bigger rivals than the Florida Panthers. I, I do wonder, though, if this, this eight-game schedule against every team in your division gets it closer to being a rivalry. And... It, it's still not the same when they meet in the playoffs. I, I think to your point, could you imagine playing an intense eight-game series against the Florida Panthers and then facing them in the playoffs? Yeah, I, I think that certainly problem. would expedite the process for sure. But I, I, I have, if you were to tell me where does Florida rank in terms of rivals for the Tampa Bay Lightning, I mean, I may have them fifth or sixth. And that might even be high, to be yeah. honest. I mean, I, I, I've never looked at the Florida Panthers as a team that um, that is Tampa Bay's biggest rivalry. I just haven't. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. And so, I mean, we can kind of throw this out, out of the book until they meet in the playoffs. Like I said, I, I do hope that they get there this year. And hopefully by that time, they'll be, you know, at least close to capacity of fans of the stands because I think that would help the sport of hockey in the state big time. You, you would certainly have a spotlight on it that it normally wouldn't have especially as we get into May and, you know, late May when, if they're going to meet in the playoffs, that's when it would happen uh, just because of the way the things are, are set up. But, um, you know, until that happens, this is just two neighbors. That's all it is. It's just two neighbors playing hockey games, in my opinion. Uh, in, in terms of what happened in, in the second game between these two teams, you know, the thing that impressed me was, okay, you, you knew you weren't going to be without Anthony Sorelli. And we now know that that's going to be a week to week situation, which is going to be, it's a big blow to this lineup, you know, John Cooper said it best. He was off to a heck of a start and he was, he was really starting to kind of build his two way game and starting to put up some points in that second line center role. Um, so they're going to miss his presence on the penalty kill and everything else. Um, Steven Stamkos out. He missed Thursday's game with lower body injury and landed on the league's COVID list on Friday. And, you know, let's be clear for people too. The lower body injury was an injury. This wasn't sort of some sort of a cover up. I, I've seen plenty of conspiracy theories out there. It, it was not the case. He actually did suffer an injury in, in the uh, 
game against Nashville. I think um, Greg, even uh, Derek Lamont, told you and Dave Mishkin on the show on Friday that he did suffer the injury uh, in Nashville that kept him out of Thursday's game. Uh, but he has since been cleared. He came off of the league's COVID list on Sunday, so there's a good chance that he'll be ready to come back. The injury is not expected to keep him out of the lineup moving forward, uh, at least now. But you're without Sorelli, you're without Stamkos, so that gives you 10 healthy forwards. You have to pull up a Jamel Smith from the taxi squad. And to watch Jamel Smith to play the way he did, two beautiful assists, the work ethic that he put in for a guy who didn't play a game and literally 11 months but that was his first game action in 11 months I thought he was huge in that game uh, I think Tyler Johnson we've had the conversations about Tyler Johnson on this podcast and other places about him needing to step up and he contributes two huge goals it's you know it's just his second multi-goal game in the past two seasons which is hard to believe for a guy who scored the number of goals he has in his career uh, Alex Volkov finally getting that first game Barclay Goodrow converts on a breakaway. So this was not Braden Point carrying the team. This was not Andre Pollock carrying the team or Alex Kalorn or Victor Hedman. This was guys that, in, in Johnson's case, somebody who needed to contribute offensively that hadn't been uh, Jamel Smith stepping in and, and contributing, uh, Goodrow stepping in and contributing. So you've got con- contributions out of guys that you're going to need at, at times like this when maybe your lineup is a little bit more depleted. You know, you bring up a lot of great points. I'll touch on a couple of them. Uh, Jamel Smith is somebody that you want to speak to what a professional really is. That's what a professional is in sports. It's not the guy that starts every day and and goes out and and takes the, if you're a pitcher, takes the ball every five days or you're a starting goaltender and you get the majority of the starts. When I think of a professional, I think of a guy like Jamel Smith who is fighting to stay in the National Hockey League. He's just under 100 games played in the NHL. Hadn't played since, what, the third game of the regular season last year and had to keep himself in shape and mentally prepared in addition to being physically ready to go. And that was the performance you got. I mean, my goodness, could you be more impressed with the type of preparation that went into uh, Jamel Smith being ready to play? I mean, I, I... I came away flabbergasted, and I think for me, I think you asked him the question on the Zoom call, was just how hard it is to prepare for something like that, and what did you do to prepare uh, for that opportunity? And that speaks volumes to the type of character I think he has, because, I mean, could you just, uh, again, imagine not playing for basically a year in yeah, an NHL I mean, game? It, that's what just blows me away with what he was able to do. And I, I wrote a story about this too. That's on the website, lightninginsider.com if everybody wants to check it out. But not only has he not played an NHL game in a year and a half, he hasn't played a game of any kind. His last game was March 11th with Syracuse at the AHL. He did have a summer camp with the team. He didn't go in the bubble with them, but he was in a summer camp, you know, and then he has to, he's on the taxi squad. So all you're doing is practicing. You have no promise of when you're going to get into a game, if you're going to get into a game. But all he did was just go out and do his business. And this is a guy, remember, this is a guy who had bouts with depression. You know, if you think back to, I had a, a conversation with him during training camp last year that aired on the network uh, on, um, you know, the show that I, that I had uh, on game days, uh, where he talked about that, where he went to some dark places because he was put on waivers by Dallas. He, lasted three games with the Bruins, was sent to Providence, had a hard time finding. So this is a guy who has already battled some of these situations in his career, and then he's asked to come in and do this. So take all that into account, and then you watch Thursday's game, the pace of play the Panthers had, that they were zooming all over the ice, the Panthers were. So then you have to get yourself mentally prepared to not only be up to NHL speed, but to be able to try and find the speed to match what the Panthers were doing in Thursday night's game. And all he does is go out and set up two primary assists. I mean, his assists on Tyler Johnson's first goal is all because of the work that Jamel Smith put in. He's down low battling. He loses the puck for a split second. He goes back, battles Carter Rehage along the wall, steps down low and flips a nice little backhand pass. I mean, yeah. to be to have the wherewithal to do that when you haven't, He's had what maybe six scrimmage games that he's played in a in eleven months. You have to be so impressed with the job that he did 
And I hope, I hope this is a launching pad for him, whether it's here or somewhere else, for him to get some regular shots at the NHL level. All you can do is be productive when the opportunity presents itself. And I feel like Jamel Smith, since he's been a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning organization, he has done that. Maybe he gets caught up in a numbers game. Maybe we'll get into his salary, and, and maybe that's going to be a bigger issue moving forward. But if all things are equal right now, at the very least, Smith deserves a couple of more opportunities to get back into the lineup until you make a decision on where he needs to be. And yeah, I mean, I think for a guy like that, he's playing for the Lightning, but he's also playing for other teams because, I mean, do you always want to be a spare forward? in the National Hockey League. I mean, it's nice collecting that paycheck, but I, I was talking about this with Brian Engblom. When you're a younger player especially, yeah, it, it is about winning and it is about a team game, but you also want to establish yourself in the National Hockey League. And Jamel Smith is a guy who's had a taste and he's done pretty well. I always wonder that, E, too, in any sport, when you have a younger guy who's trying to crack the lineup but can't. Not that he's wishing for injuries specifically to guys that he knows, but you wonder if that goes through guys' minds. Like, man, you know, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but, you know, do you think that goes on in the back of their minds that, you know, because it it is about establishing themselves first and foremost. You can talk about winning all the games you want, but if you're not part of that and if you feel like you're not established in whatever sport you're playing, I think it's tough to feel completely wanted with that particular team yeah and you have to have these opportunities and you're right i I don't know if if players and they would never admit it so i don't know no they would never admit a fair and accurate answer on this um i I don't know i I think that i think hockey is such a team sport i don't know if those thoughts would ever go through their mind i I think it just goes back to you know something john cooper said that you don't know when your number is going to get called and for what reason your number is going to be called you have to be ready when it is. Yep. And then you have to take advantage of the opportunities. So I don't think players would ever sit back and say, boy, I, I hope that this player gets hurt so I get an opportunity. I think they just they just sit back and say, boy, I hope I get a chance here. However however that comes, I hope I get a chance. Is In the back of their mind, is, is that some sort of voodoo doll that they pulled out and maybe tried to find their way into the lineup? I, I don't think so. But, uh, I mean, just kudos to him for doing that because you're right. A lot of times, if, if you're a player, if you're a player in Jamel Smith's shoes, you know he looked like he. Because he, I remember the first time I saw him play with Dallas when the Stars were here in town. I actually was doing a freelance story for the Dallas Morning News at the time, and he caught my eye. Like he was quick, he was fast, he was around the puck, he was hungry, and that you know he had kind of established himself somewhat with the Stars at that point. And all of a sudden, you know, a year and a half later, you're out of the league. So you you have to be wondering if you know Smith, when am I going to get an opportunity? And it's the irony here is that he's been able to do this in an organization that has a ton of depth. Yeah. And it's hard yeah. to find a lineup. I mean, I would think, and this is my opinion, the way I watched Jamel Smith play in last night's game, and we want to compare this to Mitchell Stevens, and he's still out for a while. We don't know when he's coming back. Sure. I I and I've liked Jamel Smith since he started the season with this team last year and got on those three games. We didn't see him again until summer camp, but he has found a way in an organization with so much depth to at least at least put his name back out there again. And I think that's huge for him. Let's put it this way: when Mitchell Stevens comes back, and I don't know where Jamel Smith will be. I think we can have an honest conversation that Mitchell Stevens wasn't performing above the line before he got hurt it's nice to win face-offs you've got to do more than that you've got to be able to produce a little bit offensively it's one of the reasons why Matthew Joseph is sticking it's another reason why we have had questions about Alex Volkoff up until the last game against Florida when he finally scored his first career NHL goal I will be curious to see how he performs moving forward but this is a performance-based league every sports league is if you can't contribute offensively E you cannot be one-dimensional and just be a guy who's a really good shutdown center or a guy who uh, just wins face-offs. You need to be able to contribute a little bit offensively. And I will be honest with you. When we talk about Volkov, Stevens, and Smith and looking at, at these players and using the eye test, Smith has impressed me more. That doesn't mean he's going to stay in the lineup. It doesn't mean he's going to continue to play really well. But I will just tell you off the eye test, 
out of those three guys, because I think those three guys could be jockeying for one spot on this team when everybody's back, ready to go. Smith has been the one that has impressed me more times than not. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. Yep, and uh, but let's also and let's get into this because this is a question from Al, and it's a valid question. So we'll just get into it since we're on this topic now. His question is: uh, When Stamkos comes back, and we do expect him back here soon, uh, does that mean Smith has to go back to the taxi squad? Um, there are salary cap implications here. My understanding, and again, the team doesn't release this information, uh, but because they were all going into last night uh, or in Game Two against Florida with only ten healthy forwards. My understanding is Jamel Smith was called up on an emergency basis and on an emergency basis, there are provisions to where that's not going to count against your cap. And it also means when you're on an emergency recall that once you have enough healthy players, that player has to be returned or you use a regular recall on him. Well, let's remember Jamel Smith is on a two-way contract. So the NHL, he's paid, I think 700 or 750,000 His AHL contract, which is what players on the taxi squad are paid his AHL deal is $250,000. So you can see the difference there for the Lightning in terms of his salary, if they're going to keep him on the active roster or not. So business does come into play uh, on certain occasions. This could end up being one of them. Um, and, and I guess the other part of that question from Al is, okay, if Stamkos is healthy and ready to come back, does you know, that still only gives you 11 healthy forwards because we know Sorelli's not coming back anytime soon. I think you have to keep uh, at least one of each position on a taxi squad in, in some capacity. I don't, I, I don't know the inside and outs off the top of my head as we're talking about this, but if you take him out the taxi squad, that leaves you with no forwards on the taxi squad, because as of right now, they have the minimum number, two of them are goalies. And one of them is um, uh, defense for uh, Boardman, Andres Boardman. Is do they have to the bring, do they have to bring somebody up to how many do you have to have on the taxi squad? Is it f- at least four? Because these on the spot questions. Yeah, no, I know. Because I I remember, I think, having this conversation with Dave Mishkin. And I think the way Tampa Bay had their taxi squad set up was a defenseman, two goalies, and Smith. So if Smith gets promoted to the taxi squad, do they need to call up somebody to be on the taxi squad from Syracuse? And then you kind of get into that whole quarantine issue and. You know how many days they have to be away before they can officially be on the taxi squad. I didn't know if there was a minimum number. That's maybe something we can have. I think it's four to six. I think they're required to carry between four and six. So they would have to have somebody called up or move somebody to the taxi squad from the the NHL club. Or if Stamkos comes back, Smith just goes back to the taxi squad, and you have you're able to fill out your roster because they've been they've been doing seven and eleven just as they did you know in the second game against the Panthers there. So. But, I mean, there, there are business decisions that come into this sometimes. And, I, I again, I, I hope that's not the case. I hope Jamel Smith gets a shot. You know, you've got two centers now uh, out long-term. We know Mitchell Stevens is out for at least another six weeks based on what John Cooper said a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, Anthony Sorelli will get some more news. Maybe even by the time you anybody listens to this podcast, the news will be out. But he was supposed to get further evaluation once the team returned home. Uh, but he did, you know, John Cooper did say he's going to be out for a little bit. So you would think and you would hope that that opens up an opportunity for a center like Jamel Smith is a natural center and the way he played, you would hope that that gives him an op- another opportunity, you know, whether there's, uh, you know, salary cap implications or not, because sometimes meritocracy has to win out. So I think this, this is just in and again, we're taping this Sunday night. It looks like Alex Barry Boulay has been called up and is put on the taxi squad. So I'm just seeing that on the cap-friendly transactions, and I think that answers our question. So we were right. Four to six players have to be on the taxi squad at all times. So Alex Barry Boulay called up, and you know, does that factor into Stamkos and Sorelli playing Monday? that Smith now stays in the lineup for the next game or two? Maybe. I don't know. The other thing, too, is I'm pretty sure he 
because he was put on waivers to start. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong. Luke Shen can be put back on the taxi squad as well. Not yet. Okay, not yet. It's, it's 30 days. Um, 30 days, gotcha. I'm pretty sure we're past 30 days, right? Because the season started on January 13th. He would have been put on waivers on the 11th. Uh, so I think he is now would have to go back on waivers. He'd have to clear waivers then. Okay. To be sent to the taxi squad. Now, okay. Cal Foot, you can move him back and forth yes. all you want. He's still on his actual level contract. He is not uh, prone um, you know, to waivers. He is exempt from that. So that is one player that you can move back and forth. But, yeah, so anybody that was put on waivers at the start of the season now would have to go back on waivers to be even um, assigned to that taxi squad. Because keep in mind, that taxi squad is an extension of your minor league team for transactional purposes, not an extension of your NHL team. I, I, it's probably confusing a hell of a lot of people. Yeah, it is they, confusing, but it's it's stuff it. that's, you know, we have to keep up on. I, I will say this. So for a guy like Jamel Smith, clearly a lineup of 12 and 6 benefits him the most, right? Yeah, well, and, and let's let's keep this in mind too. Like, you have to, you have to call up a forward here because – we expect Steven Stamkos to be healthy. We expect his the injury that kept him out of Thursday's game to be okay. But this is a way you make sure he's okay. So you, yes. you're you're filled whether or not you have to. And Barry Belay probably goes on a taxi squad. He probably doesn't get into the lineup, uh, but we'll see. But um, you know you have to have enough healthy bodies to be able to do it too because the team is is getting ready to go back out on the road. That is correct. And you know it's it's good. I think it's good for first off. Barry Boulay to, to have, you know, some experience with the big club, albeit, you know, in, in practice. But I think you start to see some of the juggling the organization has to do with the taxi squad and with salaries. I think this is really where it, to me, is interesting because you have to know the cap. You have to know the numbers, especially with a team that's close to the cap that can't afford to have too many slip ups when it comes to being negligent with guys moving in and out of the lineup. So this is all very interesting. I know a lot of people have questions about it, but as we sit here tonight, I would anticipate Smith still being in the lineup. Uh, how many games he gets, I don't know. And is it a long-term situation? If he Look, if he puts up goals and, and assists and continues to play the way he did against Florida the other night, that might be one of those things where his play just is too good to, to keep out. This is way on. We've seen it before. Yeah. It happens. Like it happens with guys, and um, you know, and and uh, it, it looked like like we just talked about Cal Foot. Okay, I think Cal Foot's NHL salary and Jamel Smith's NHL salary is exactly the same. So, if you use the recall on Smith and brought him on to the active thing outside of an emergency recall, it's easy if you just want to dress twelve and six to just move Cal Foot back, and it's a wash in terms of salary cap and salary. So from that aspect, it's not going to hurt your team if that's what you want to do in the short term. But because you can't move Luke Shen over to the taxi squad now, that does force different type of decisions uh, from a coaching staff perspective to where if you want to just play Cal Foot and scratch a Luke Shen, you can't do what they did in the first few weeks of the season. And that's just move one guy back and forth with one's not playing, the other one is. You just swap out the taxi squad. So it will be interesting here moving forward and, and how they, they massage this because it's, it's going to take a lot of massaging for this team uh, to kind of get through this. Um, the, the, the other part of this is because of the injury to Anthony Sorelli, I mean, my mind, this is going to be a very underrated loss because you did so many stars on this team. Even with Nikita Kucherov out, he still, you know, we still talk about him a lot. Uh, Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, Braden Point, um, you know, social media influencer Alex Kalorn. Anthony Sorelli has really developed a big time role on this team. And if he's out for three, four, five weeks, that's a big chunk of time in a 56 game season for you to be without a key player and a guy who's always the first over the boards in the penalty. He was having a really good year, and you know he was contributing offensively. You knew what you were getting with him defensively. I mean, it's it's the same old thing with with Sorelli. You know, maybe next to Braden Point, their most complete forward. But if he's out for an extended period of time, here's the luxury Tampa Bay has: you have a guy like Tyler Johnson who can take over a little bit. And that game against Florida, the second game, was 
maybe one of the more important games we've seen from Tyler Johnson over the last two years, just from the standpoint that he was involved offensively, he scored, and he made a difference. I'm not sure we could have said that over the last you know handful of games here. He, he's a guy that has been through a lot mentally for sure, physically as well, and maybe hasn't been himself over the last year or so. You know, knowing that this is probably his last year on the team and being put on waivers before the season started, I'm sure that weighed on him. But we talk about being a professional and being ready to go and, and putting that stuff behind you. Uh, Tyler Johnson has a really good opportunity here to produce offensively and be at the position he's most comfortable playing, which is center. Uh, I would assume that's where they keep him. When Sorelli comes back, you can have different combinations, and it probably involves a guy like Johnson playing on the wing. But this is where Tyler Johnson has to earn that money. He's a guy that's expected to score. More so at center maybe than wing, but that's just kind of where he is right now. And if he gets an opportunity to take on a bigger responsibility during the games because Sorelli's out, then my goodness, he's got to take advantage of it like we saw in Game 2 against the Panthers. Yeah, there's no doubt. And he I think he understands it. And you know, obviously, a lot of people are down on Tyler Johnson because of the lack of production. And, you know, he, he didn't have a, a huge playoffs either when I think a lot of us were expecting maybe him to, to kind of get back to the guy that helped carry them to the 2015 Stanley Cup final the way he did and some of the clutch goals that he scored. You didn't quite have that type of a postseason last year. Um, and going into the season, I mean, this has to weigh on you from, from a humanizing perspective where you're told that you're the guy being identified as have to move to be cap compliant. Sorry, Tyler, this is business. We have to move on from you. Can you please submit a list of teams? He submits a list of teams. A trade doesn't come through. He's put on waivers back in October. He goes unclaimed. Okay, we still have to find a way to work out a trade for you. So for two months, this guy didn't think he was going to be a part of this organization. And then the Kucherov injury happens and that door opens and now you don't have to go. Well, then you get put on waivers again, go unclaimed because of the business side of it, which is what put them in the situation in the first place. And then you have to miss the season opener, which, oh, by the way, is the banner raising. You're, you can't be on the ice for the banner raising situation because of the cap issues. You can't tell me that doesn't weigh on a player, even as somebody who's been around as much as Tyler Johnson has. For sure. And then, you look at the two opportunities he missed out on in that game on Saturday against Florida. He has a puck that's rolling and spinning. That's so hard. If anybody's ever tried to do that with like a, a, a ball hockey playing street hockey, you understand how hard it is to kind of get enough of your blade on the puck in that situation. And it just rolled away from him when he had an open net and people are all over him. Oh, he can't even hit an open net. And then he has another opportunity where him and Eric Chernak work a perfect give and go back and forth on a two on one. And he he's looked at that. He's floating. He's not in the right position to take that pass where in my opinion, he's hanging back looking for a rebound from a Chernak shot. Maybe he's not anticipating the puck coming back. So he's a half step behind the puck and Chernak can't find him with it again, backdoor play, you know, so now these are two golden opportunities in and in what's a zero zero game at that point. And then he goes out and scores two in the second. So you you hope, and this is one of the questions that I asked him after the game, after missing out and the start that he's had to the season on two golden opportunities in the first period, how do you not let your confidence wane and, and eat at you? How do you not let those plays get to you? And he just said, I just have to practice hard. I have to make sure I'm doing the right things so that when the opportunities come up. And his finish on the pass from Jamel Smith that we already talked about perfectly placed shot pop corner far post from the right circle that's a goal scorer's touch and you hope that that is something that kickstarts him to back to being a productive player for this team because they need it yeah i mean everything you said there is spot on and tyler johnson is expected to produce and i think this is the type of production you're used to seeing what we saw in florida does that translate the rest of the way i don't know he but confidence is a weird thing in sports, in life in general. If you have a lot of confidence doing what you do, you're going to perform it a lot better than if you don't believe in yourself. And if Tyler Johnson can start to see that puck go into the net a few more times, you could be getting a completely different Tyler Johnson at a time when the Lightning really do need him.
yeah, they need him to be the Tyler Johnson of three, four, five years ago, or at least some semblance of that version uh, moving forward because he is an important player on this team and he is somebody that they really look up to to, to be a veteran guy on this team. And um, he hasn't been the productive player that we're used to seeing uh, here in the past. And, and before we get to the questions, uh, one other player I want to touch on, we, we didn't talk about this too much, so I'm going to sort of surprise you with this one. The job Curtis McElhaney did last week in Nashville, you know, we talked a lot about Jamel Smith not playing a game in 11 months. McElhaney was in the same boat. He'd only had a few scrimmages. He missed two weeks of practice this year because he landed on the COVID list for two weeks, wasn't able to be around the team, wasn't able to see puck, wasn't able to do anything except for work out basically in his room. Uh, for him to go into Nashville and perform the way he did, didn't see a lot of action early, saw plenty of action late. How impressive for a goaltender to be out for as long as McElhaney was to put on that performance. That is just as impressive as anything I think we're going to see. this year. Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's the epitome of being a professional. Now McElhaney is older than Jamel Smith. So he's used to not being the guy necessarily in the national hockey league. He's had a taste of being a starting goaltender, but for the most part, I think he's had the mentality. I'm going to get 15 to 20 games, maybe at most in the national hockey league when I'm there playing and I've got to make the most of it. I think he understands playing behind Andre Vasilevsky is the best goaltender in the world. I think it's a little easier to accept your position. But I think when you go that long and you don't play, especially for a goaltender, especially in the first period when he didn't see a ton of shots, yep. that's even more remarkable. Goaltenders have to be the most, I think, mentally strong players on the ice for that very reason because – Every every play, you're basically a big part of what's happening. And just a couple of off angles, E can put your team down two or three nothing. And in today's NHL, that can be the difference, getting two points or no points. So what he was able to do, full props, full props. And, you know, look, the Lightning have had a really good run here of tremendous goaltending with Ben Bishop and then Andre Vasilevsky as your starters. But he, let's not forget, they've had some really good backups too. And mm-hmm. uh, McElhinney is right up there with Louis Domingue, right up there when Andre Vasilevsky was backing up Ben Bishop. I mean, think about those three goaltenders alone. Phenomenal. You're not missing You're not missing a beat. But the good news is you're, you weren't asking those guys to come in and play 45 games. You're asking them to play 20, 25 at most. And I think as long as they perform that role, John Cooper feels very confident sending him out there. And I think the fact that McElhaney is a, a veteran goaltender that's been there, done that, he's just been a tremendous addition to this Lightning team. Kudos to him. Yeah, and I'm fascinated to see how the coaching staff handles the goaltending schedule going forward. Yeah. Because, you know, you still got another week here. You actually have two days off after playing Florida before they go on to, uh, to, to face Dallas for a couple of games in the Stanley Cup rematch later in the week. And your next back-to-back isn't until the end of February when you have back-to-back home games against Carolina on the 24th and the 25th. So I'm curious to see if McElhaney will see another start before then. You know, and and again, the unconventional approach, John Cooper put Curtis McElhaney in the front end of a back-to-back instead of the second half. Usually coaching one-on-one tells you the backup plays the second game. You you use your better goaltender or your, your number one goaltender in the first game. Uh, you get a better chance to win, and then your goalie has to maybe try and steal one in the second half of back-to-back. But, of course, the difference here is this. I don't know if we've talked about this so much. The second half of back-to-back games this year doesn't matter because guess what? The other team's going through the same thing. This is not a situation where the Lightning would have played in Boston on one night. they got to fly to Detroit for a game the next night, and the Red, Red, Red Wings haven't played for two days. Everybody's going to be in the same boat. So – Maybe the back-to-back for goalies doesn't matter as much this year as maybe it does in previous seasons. But I am still fascinated to see how the coaching staff is going to roll the schedule out for McElhaney here going forward. Yeah, I mean, we know that Vassie wants to play as much as possible. We know, again, the condensed schedule means that maybe you're relying on your starting goaltender a bit more. But if McElhaney has the starts that we've seen in previous opportunities, there's no reason why John Cooper won't give him whatever percentage it was to start the year uh, from here on out, I think, to, to end uh, the season. Yeah, all right. Before we get to uh, the questions that uh, everybody sent in, we want to make sure everybody knows that uh, support for the LightningInsider.com podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming 
big news. Manscaped just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over and at all times. Who knew smelling this good could make you feel good too? Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for your below-the-waist grooming needs, and don't forget, go to manscaped.com, use the promo code BOLTS, you get 20% off plus free shipping for any item they have. We, we've seen that perfect package 3OE that I use a lot, and again, that's for grooming, you know what I mean, below the waistline, which uh, you know every man um, should do. But you have now that cologne to complement the perfect package 3O, and it's going to make you feel very, very good. We hope a lot of our, our audience uh, use that for Valentine's Day. I, I'm sure it made Valentine's Day a little bit more special for everybody involved, if you know what I mean. And in case you weren't able to spend your Valentine's Day, any other day, it's true. any other day, this stuff is good for, uh, you know, the, the cologne is calming and inviting. It's a signature scent, introduces a light citrus burst before settling into the anchoring notes of vetiver and woodsy masculine finish. Let's just put it this way. It doesn't make you stank. <laughs> no. And uh, nobody wants to be the stinky kid. No. Nobody wants to be the stinky man. Make sure you're putting yourself in the best position, and when you're smelling good, you're feeling good. Amen to All that, right. brother. Yeah, don't forget uh, the, the the code BOLTS at manscaped.com. It's 20% off with free shipping. Look good, smell good, feel good with Manscaped. All right, let's get to these questions. We already got to Al's question, Al. I hope I answered uh, your question uh, well enough. Um, want to get to a couple here from Meg. Uh, the first one Meg asks is anything new to report on Nikita Kucherov's recovery. Uh, I can tell you that uh, obviously we're not down in the locker room area like we are during a normal season, so we don't get to see what sort of progress he is making, but I can tell you that John Cooper was asked this question relatively recently, and he says he gets to talk to Nikita Kucherov just about every day when the team is in town because he is doing his rehab and everything else from the hip surgery he had in December. So he is around the team. He's not skating yet. That's the first thing we're going to look for is when can he get on the ice? That'll be the first sign that he's really taken that step towards getting back to being ready. But again, this is a four to five month recovery. So we're not even two months into the surgery day. So we're not even halfway through the recovery timetable at this point, but we will keep an eye on it as much as we can for you uh, with the Kucherov situation. And the other one Meg asks uh, was Sorelli and Stamkos, likely out for a while. Well, Stamkos isn't necessarily out for a while, uh, but do you think there'll be any call-ups? And uh, Greg, as you so thoughtfully found out, Alex Barbelay actually is coming out. Whether that means he gets into a game or not, I'm not sure, but that's an enticing thought. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy we've heard a lot about, and there's probably like three or four of those guys down in Syracuse that are knocking on the door. We saw that previous wave of guys like Mitchell Stevens, Carter Verhage, Volkoff, and Joseph. But then you need those reinforcements coming behind them. And whether it's Boris Kachuk, whether it's Ross Colton, whether it's uh, Radish, I, I think those are players that's maybe that next group that I don't want to say are going to be impact players, but you could see them get uh, some cups of coffee at the National Hockey League level at some point here in the next couple of years because, as we know, there's going to be a lot of movement with this Lightning team. But, you know, a good opportunity, I think, for Alex Barry Boulay to be on that practice squad and uh, learn from the professionals. Yep, it's always – it's never a bad thing to work with NHL players and NHL coaches on a regular basis, and that is not a knock in any way, shape, or form on, on Ben Gruel and the coaching staff in Syracuse. But when you're right, if, if – you have to be around NHL players sometimes to understand how NHL players prepare. And you hear that through the years of young players who come up and, under, and you know, get a better understanding of that. Uh, from Caleb, uh, despite the 10 2 one start, how much do you think the team misses Nikita Kucherov? And do you think they're excited for whenever he does get back into the lineup come playoff time or whenever in the future? Um, look, you can't have an absence of a Nikita Kucherov and not feel, feel the void. You can't fill the void. You can't feel the void. And, in many ways, the biggest area that they don't or that you notice his absence is on the power play. It's been up and down throughout a good portion of the early parts of this season. They're trying to figure out who's going to play in that right circle. They've tried Braden Point. They've tried um, Andre Palat, um, Mikhail Sergachev. 
took some um, rushes over there, took some drills and training camp over there. So you, you, a world-class player who produces at the level that Nikita Kucherov does, you absolutely miss him, and you can't fill that void of What no matter what you do, no matter who you put over there. Now, since they've put Pilat over there and put Braden Point back in the bumper position, the passing has been much crisper. They've looked more dangerous in there. I think Braden Point is better suited for that bumper spot. And if Andre Pilat's going to fire off one-timers like he has a couple of times on that road trip, yeah. I think that's the formula in the short term until Nikita Kucherov is ready. But we know, don't even think about Nikita Kucherov coming back before May. It's just not happening. No, and I, I think in some ways that's prepared the team to mentally move on from Kucherov this regular season. You get him ready for the postseason, that's like bringing in you know the best free agent <laughs> at the trade deadline in many ways. And you know what you're going to get. You're right about the power play. Just everything runs through him. But you know what this is doing with not having Cooch is forcing guys to maybe get out of their comfort zone a bit and take on a bigger role. Palat hasn't missed a beat really with Kucherov being out yet. And the one timer he had uh, in the second game against the Panthers was uh, really impressive. You know, you think of Palat as a guy who's gritty and has some skill, but is mainly in your face and, and digging for loose pucks and, and on the forecheck. But that one-timer, that showed me something. And, you know, maybe you don't see that if Kucherov isn't, uh, if he's in the lineup. So I think it's forced some guys to take on a, a bigger role, and that is never a bad thing, assuming Kuch is going to be ready to go for the postseason. Nope, and these are things like, you know, Pilate, like now that he knows he's going to have an opportunity, you'll see him staying out late after practice and working on it. He'll take feeds off one-timers. So even a guy who's as established as Andre Pilate is, that's a new a new bar, part of his game that he's working on because he knows he's being asked to do it. And that's that's never a bad thing when guys can be able to do that and maybe add another piece to their sure. the who they are as a player. Uh, from Jason, this is a great question, and we've broached this subject before, Greg, but with the divisional play – while necessary this year, it's losing its appeal to me. A bunch of deserving teams will be left out of the playoffs while some three to four weak divisional seeds make it. What are your thoughts? Look, we read it when Elliot Friedman put it as number 31 in his 31 thoughts that he hasn't paid any attention to the U.S. based teams because they're so nuts in Canada about this all Canadian division alignment that they have. And you know, there's a Canadian game taking place every night in Toronto, Montreal is creating a buzz like it hasn't created in a long time. And, you know, the battle of Alberta is going to take place 10 times this year. There's a lot of focus and attention on that. And, and deeper into Jason's point here, I mean, the divisions are what they are. You can't really help. But I guess the one point of, okay, even if you have a, a, a number four divisional team that may be considered weaker and make the playoffs, everything's divisional place in the first uh, first two rounds so it, it I don't think it has a huge bearing on who makes the playoffs and who doesn't it's just what you have to deal with this year what I hope what I hope is this is not something the league is looking at moving forward we've seen Paul Maurice talk about how much he enjoys it how great he thinks it is I think it's bad as a whole for the league because I'll be honest with you Greg I watch a lot of hockey yeah I had it this year I you know I might flip on Chicago Columbus you know, because it's a divisional game and they had a wild game the other night, goals back and forth from the third period, you know, before Columbus came back and won that game and, and saved it from being a three-point night uh, for, the, for, for those teams. But I haven't paid a lot of attention to the other divisions, and I think that's a bad thing. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, you know, especially for a sport that wants as many eyeballs on its product as possible. I get that. I, I do. I mean, I, I, I told Mish the other day, I mean, I find myself – a little out of touch with what's going around what's going on around the league and it's our job to kind of be on top of what's happening i mean especially out west you know you you do your best to keep up but you're just not you're not exposed to those teams even if you only saw the san jose sharks twice a year you had to do some research on them when they played the lightning you talked mm -hmm. to people who covered the team and you felt like after the two games that they played you'd have an idea of what the sharks are about I, we have completely lost touch with that. I, I think this is just a one-year thing. I know the league is maybe entertaining the idea, E, of, of really locking into these divisional games a bit more. Maybe there's a compromise that you can you can come to. But I, I, I'm kind of with you. I think this year there's been a lot of disconnect 
with the other teams and other divisions. And I'm hoping it's just for one year. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And to me, the hardest thing to do in all of this as well is to figure out the end of the season awards, you know, yeah. um, I voted on those for 20 years. I didn't vote last year because I had to withdraw from the PHWA. I'm back in the PHWA this year. Uh, so I am going to have, I assume I'm going to be able to vote this year. We'll find out, but it's going to be hard. Yeah. What do you, you do? Leaders right now, all the leading goal scorers are from the Canadian division because right. they don't play very good defense up there as we've seen, you know? So how are you going to be that to me? That's the biggest factor here. How do you determine a player's worth and their value to their team when they're playing in a division where the average goals per game might be 1.5 to two higher per night than say another one of the, the other three divisions. To me, that's the bigger thing to kind of keep an eye on. How do you determine how good a player, how good of a year a player might be having? I mean, look at McDavid and Drysdale. They've just gone nuts in a couple of these games. So their point total might be higher than it would be during, during a normal 82 game season because they're saying they're seeing the same defensively weak teams night in night out what i would say to you is and you know this you Hello? can't you can't control who you play and yeah. if mcdavid and dreisaitl end up finishing one and two in the scoring race i'm just throwing out a hypothetical here and it's way above the the third or fourth place finisher there's no shame in giving that award to a guy like Connor mcdavid particularly if edmonton makes the playoffs i think that'll That'll be nice for those guys, and they should. But, you know, if it's close and you've got a couple of guys on the Lightning team who've been in a, a more competitive division, maybe they're 10 points behind McDavid or Dreisaitl for points, maybe it's more than that, then I think you look at it and, and try and judge it fairly. But if i got to tell you right now, if McDavid is so far ahead in the scoring race, I don't think it's going to matter what division he plays in. I think people are just going to automatically vote for him as the, the MVP. Yeah, and, and I feel just just because on the, the basis of the way that the PHWA is set up, there's more Canadian voters than you know the other markets, and I I don't wonder if that's going to skew the votes too. Oh, you know it will. You know it will. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna provide my votes, and that's what it's going to be. Assuming Absolutely. I do get the opportunity to vote, but uh, you know I, I worry about a little bit of a Canadian media bias because they're saying those seeing those teams. Wait a minute, a Canadian media bias? Come on, there's no bias in Canada. Yes, yes, there is. <laughs> Just ask my son. He'll tell you all about it. That's right. Uh, all right, last two here um, from Stephanie. Uh, thoughts on Volkov's play to this point? Uh, I know he got his first goal the other night, but do you think he needs to pick it up? Seems like he is coming along slower than I thought yes. he would have. All of that, yes, yes. Yeah. Hey, go ahead, I'll let you go first. No, I was just going to I mean, I think he's been okay. I think after the game against the Panthers, the second game where he scored, I felt like that was much needed. I got to be honest, up up until that point, he hasn't really impressed me. I, I've heard more about what he has inside him and his abilities than I've seen production on the ice. Kind of the anti-Jamel Smith. Jamel yeah. Smith, every time he's gotten a chance to get on the ice, I think he's done something. With Volkov, I haven't seen enough of it. I understand there's a lot of potential there. They drafted him. There's something to be said also, too, for... Sticking with guys, especially when Carter Verhege, um, they moved on from him. I think that puts a little bit more pressure on some of the guys that you have behind him to fill a role. But up until this point, I've been lukewarm on Volkov, and I've been more impressed with Jamel Smith. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I think okay is just the best way to put it. Uh, we're, we're waiting for him to take a step. And, you know, he's only good. Look, he's still under 20 games of NHL experience. And, you know, but I think because he was a second-round draft pick and he was an overage second-round draft pick at the time, we didn't really know much about him when he was drafted. He went into Syracuse and had a couple of 20-goal seasons. And, you know, I think the expectation was, okay, he's got that grit, he's got the size, he's got the skill to play in a top potential top-six role that we expected that to develop a little bit quicker. But everybody develops at their own pace. Uh but we do know that, that in hockey, we expect more sometimes out of younger players than maybe we do some other sports outside of the NFL uh, in terms of coming in and, and producing. So uh, he'll get opportunities. But the other thing is, too, with Volkov, he's been passed by Matthew Joseph. Like we talked so much going into the season about the potential opportunity for Volkov that we didn't talk a 
apparently enough about Matthew Joseph, who has come in and stolen. I don't want to say stolen because Matthew Joseph has earned everything he's been given this year to be in the lineup and be in the lineup every night and be a contributor. And he's rewarding the team for that. And he is taking that, he has taken that ice time, that potential ice time away from Alex Wilcox. So some of that has to do with how Matthew Joseph has come in and taken his approach to the season. He came in looking to earn a spot where maybe Volkov came in expecting he was going to be given a spot. Yeah, and I think Joseph, we talk about how athletes deal with adversity. Last year wasn't a great year for Joseph. I think he felt the pressure to come in and make something out of the whole situation. And I don't want to say to salvage his career, but let's face it, now year three, you're expected to be a bit better. And boy, has he ever been. And it's not a coincidence. Again, it goes back to something I've, I've been telling you, and you, you know this as well. When you're a younger player and you're not performing in a top six role, it's nice to win faceoffs. It's nice to be responsible defensively. But how you stay in the lineup, in my opinion, is contributing offensively. And Joseph is. He's he's contributing offensively. You know, he's not he's not a liability defensively, but it's not like you're not getting anything from him on the offensive zone. You've got to be able to make plays, even if it's in a Bottom six role. It's one of the reasons why I think I we've been a little lukewarm on Volkov. You're going to get limited minutes, but you have to deal with it, and you have to show that you can generate some offense from those from those lines. And Joseph this year is doing that. Yep, and, and to steal a line from uh, Marty Saint Louis that he gave me a number of years ago in the Atlanta Thrashers visiting team locker room. You don't want to be a clock killer. No, that's a great line. That's it's why that's why it's always stuck with me because yeah. it was such a great line. Um, you know, you can't just be somebody who's out there. You have to show something. And offensive production is a way to stand out. It's a way to to quantify your contributions to the team. And there are other ways you can contribute to the team. Faceoffs are one. Defensively responsible. If you're going to kill penalties, what what you can't be is just somebody who kind of goes out there and just plays. Like you have to find out what's my role. What am I going to do? You can't just be floating around, just getting through a game. You know, throwing your stick on the ice and just skating. So don't be a clock killer. Wise words from one Martin saying the weed. All right, last one from our friend Prozemic. Uh, with Stamkos back in the lineup, do you see him potentially replacing Sorelli as second line center or Johnson takes a spot in the middle with Kalorn and Joseph on the wings? I'll say this it was difficult to figure out what the lines were uh, in Saturday's game because they were all over the map. Uh, well, first of all, Thursday's game because of how poorly they were playing i think natural stats tracked 10 different line combinations in that game um weren't very set in the game uh, on saturday against florida either so i don't know what to expect when you know once they kind of settle into a regular system here with certainly out for you know, a, a decent amount of time my guess is stamkos goes right back to play with point plot because those three guys were really dangerous when they were together uh, on almost a nightly basis i can see tyler johnson moving back to the middle he was back in the middle when he scored those two goals on a couple of different lines as they were, they mixed the match guys around. I think this is an opportunity for Tyler Johnson to get back to his comfort position and maybe get him going a little bit. I yep. see Tyler Johnson sticking that center line role. I would agree. I wouldn't mess with a third line either. I understand, you know, if, if you want to move somebody up, maybe you give Joseph uh, a few more shifts in the top six if you really wanted to. But I agree with you with Tyler Johnson. This is why you have him on the team. You know, when things like this happen, he's a guy that can step in and be a point producer, especially at his natural position. So uh, I would anticipate Tyler Johnson, like you just said, he being the second-line center. Yep, and I would anticipate the Lightning having a very heavy schedule <laughs> coming up because there's going to be a lot going on. Uh, finishing off this three-game set against the Florida Panthers. You've got two games in Dallas in a Stanley Cup rematch. you got three straight against Carolina, uh, followed by two more against Dallas to close out the month. As We're, we're already more than 20% of the way through the season before you know it we're going to be the halfway point we're going to be very close to the halfway point by the time we get to the middle of march so as always there's a lot coming up on the schedule and uh, greg i look forward to talking to you with um about all that right here on this podcast and who knows where else i might show up you know what whenever yeah. i think we're going to have you on the show monday on power lunch so make sure people tune into that with uh, dave michigan so we'll continue reading your work in we'll continue churning out these podcasts but it was a lot of fun Yep, sounds good. We'll be back with one uh, hopefully here uh, sometime in the middle of this week. Uh, so as always, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this, for supporting this podcast. Don't forget the 20% and free shipping promo code BOLTS at manscaped.com. 
please try and support those who support us to help us put this out here for everybody. Make sure you're subscribing to this podcast wherever you get them, Apple, Stitcher, Google. They're all available there. Give it the five-star review. Those mean a lot to us. It means a lot to be able to find people to help support this podcast and make sure you're doing that as much as possible. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll check you out next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.